We are at week 11. Do you know what week 11 is? It's playoff time. This is the TD Club for week 11. I am Sean Curtis, at SeanCurtis430 on Twitter or X, Instagram, Threads, and Blue Sky. Mike Mastovich is across the table from me on the other mic. You can find him at Masty81 on Twitter slash X or at Mike.Masty on Instagram. Mike, we've made it. Yes, sir. Playoff time. Playoffs. <laughs> and, I, you know, it, it was... It always looks in the rearview mirror that, you know, like, oh, man, those 10 weeks went by fast. These 10 weeks went by fast, but, like, also, like, there was a lot of work that went into it. Like, not only in our end, but just everybody else, you know, involved with football programs at the various schools, as is the case every year. Yeah, when you get to this point, you know, you think back, and I remember the week one going to uh, my alma mater, Conwell Valley, for that John Jacoby uh, field dedication. That seems like it wasn't even that long ago, and here we are week 11, uh, you know, more than almost three months later. <laughs> yeah, I we're recording this on November 1st, and I can remember, I think it was August 4th, was Heritage Conference Media Day at Connemaw Valley. And you're standing out there, it's 85 degrees, it's you know, the week of the Triple ABA tournament for us, and you don't think that it's going to be Within 15 weeks, you're going to be sitting here talking about playoffs for high school football, also playoffs for soccer, also playoffs for volleyball. You've got hockey season starting, and then winter sports are just around the corner. Yeah, time flies. It's uh, year by year. It just uh, the cycle never ends, and that's good. We get to see all the sports. To our younger listeners, if you're ever sitting there thinking, oh, my God, this week is dragging so much, just wait until you get older. <laughs> exactly. All right, so let us let us look back at Week 10. Um, United Valley – Defeated Conemaw Township in Davidsville. That won the Lions a Heritage Conference title. So, and if you're looking at the two teams involved in this co-op, that's the first conference title for United since the 2009 Heritage Conference Championship. And for Black Lake Valley, you have to go back to 1983 when the Vikings won the Appalachian East Division and then the Appalachian Bowl for the last conference title for these programs. But here's a case. They had that stumble against River Valley, but they came back and did what they needed to do against Connemaw Township. Yeah, two years ago, United, before the co-op, was winless. Now here we are, year two of the co-op uh, with Black League Valley, and they're the Heritage Conference champions. They, they, as you said, they bounced back from that first loss of the season and the end of an 11-game winning streak that dated to last season. And uh, I talked to Coach Kevin Marabito, and he said, that was weird, that they were almost waiting for that loss. He said, as soon as that loss happened, the pressure was off. In my column I wrote, he talked about how he could see after a while the players weren't having as much fun as they had been having throughout the season because they kept thinking about this winning streak. Okay, don't get me wrong. They didn't want to lose, but he could see the pressure building, like we got to keep the streak going, we got to keep the streak going. And he said, as soon as that loss happened, nobody was happy they lost, but he said the next – they, their next week of practice, uh, he saw a whole different attitude, and they went out and took care of business 49-7 to on the road to clinch that title. And sometimes you have a team like this that, you know, goes from upstart to dominant. And they have that run early. You know, you're winning 11 straight games dating back to 2022. You have that stumble. And again, as you said, nobody wants to lose. Nobody's going out there to lose. But you, you absorb that loss – you realize it's not the end of the world. You realize that you still have a lot of what you've made out to be your goals for the season in front of you. Color gets a little looser. Exactly. And uh, Coach Marabito talked about how this team is all on the same page. He's been saying this throughout the year, how 
It is amazing. I talked to another uh, a former Blackwood coach who who's you know follows the team well, and he just said in the school he says these kids it's it's true they're they're they feel like part of one team. There's nobody saying like, uh, well you know you did this for the United kid and not this for the Blackwood kid. He said this co-op has worked so much better than maybe some others in the past years have have been or definitely better than maybe some people expected it to go in only two years to win a conference title and to be in the 6-2A playoffs. And you look at some of the more recent co-ops, you know, you have the McCourt Carroll co-op where they've struggled, but it looks like they're about to turn the corner or at least find the corner. The Connemaw Valley Shade co-op has, you know, has peaks, has its valleys. You know, the Connemaw or Connemaw Township Shade, I believe. Yeah, Connemaw Township Shade. Connemaw Valley Ferndale you know, start out well, like they're starting to struggle a little bit, but you know, you're going to have that. And then you go back to 2010 and what Ligonier Valley did when the merger of the entire school district with Laurel Valley happened. We're getting that drink in early, everybody. <laughs> and, you know, here, here's a case where it like, it was a good team on the field, but it took maybe about three or four years for like the identity to establish itself that like, okay, this is no longer, these kids are coming up from the North. These kids are coming from the South is like, okay, we are, we are one football team. And I mean, coach Vidal was, you know, saying that from the beginning in 2010, like, you know, we're not looking at this as like, you know, a Laurel Valley kid or like, like we're all one team. We're all looking at Valley Rams, but like sometimes you like, you know, you're just, even with everybody saying and doing the right things, there's still that like link in the back of your head. It's like, okay, well, like, well, you know, back when we were playing midgets at Laurel Valley, we were playing youth football, Ligonier, like these, you know, the team comes together. And I think you're seeing that with a lot of the co-ops and as the United Valley co-op evolves, you're going to see that more and more. It, it's just a matter of, you know, do you have the kids? Do you have the kids coming out? And can you keep those kids there? Because it's a tough proposition, even with the games being played at Black League Valley on occasion. And I, I don't know about like the practice schedules or anything like that, but you know, sometimes it's a grind to get on that bus and ride 20 to 25 minutes to practice and then ride 20 to 25 minutes back and then maybe ride a different activity bus to go home. And sometimes that wears on somebody, but you know, for like right now you're looking at a team that's nine and one, it's going to be the three seed in the District 6 Class 2A playoffs. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And it's a conference champion. Speaking of conference championships, Mike was at the Laurel Highlands Athletic Conference title game at Roaring Spring. Central beat Richland 43-15, and this was a win that Central deserved. But also, what could have been if Richland wasn't so banged up? Yeah, Central, great team. They've been dominant in the Laurel Highlands Athletic Conference the past three seasons. So this is the first championship game of the expanded LHAC and the second in history because we talked last week about the 1993 Four Steels defeating Cambria Heights. And uh, so it was a, a a great performance by Central. I mean, you got Eli Muthler, the quarterback, uh, does fantastic 2,000-yard passer. you got Hunter Smith, who's the running back, the middle linebacker, and even the place kicker. Uh, just did about everything in that game. And it would have been a tall task for Richland to go on the road to Central, which is a tough place to play, and win, though the Rams did do that in 2022 in the regular season. So it would have been a difficult task, so I don't know. But uh, when they got there, we had kind of started hearing uh, throughout the week that Evan McCracken 
the four-year starter at running back and uh, defensive back, and uh, he's just shy of a thousand yards this season. All-state player and a uh, incredible track performer. You know, he 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 wasn't playing. Uh, he was in a, a. We saw him on the field, talked to him, and he, he was wearing a big uh, one of his protective boots over his foot. So, um, you know, you're without that guy who does a lot. And then uh, they have been missing for about a month now. Grayson Mala, the freshman quarterback who was leading the area in passing yardage whenever he went down. Dominic Shank, as we talked about, replaced Grayson. Had a, a great uh, three-week run uh, keeping the Rams rolling. And then he was lost for the season. And um, so now you're taking one of the best linemen in the area, Ethan Janidlo, who uh, used to play quarterback on the JV level, big guy, a tough guy, uh, baseball player. Uh, so he moves from the line, and you see it was really weird to see in the backfield number 68 <laughs> taking the snaps. You normally don't see a quarterback wearing a number past the 20s. Right. And and Ethan uh, did an admirable job. Uh, threw some, some of the balls looked good. He just overthrew a couple guys and things like that. Uh, the game was pretty much already going well into Central's favor when Ethan was injured the third play of the second quarter. So um, he's lost. So then you bring in uh, a freshman, Jameer Christian, who played a little bit the week before uh, during one drive. And the kid did a great job. I mean, he was uh, made some plays with his feet, threw, threw nice ball, and uh, had a touchdown. So, um, you know, they've had so many quarterbacks, and they've all done a pretty good job, like uh, – you know, Brandon Bailey being a former quarterback in, in high school and college, uh, I guess, uh, you know, maybe he's, a, like we say, a quarterback guru. So the Rams did some good things, but uh, they, they lost a very one-sided game, 43-15. to 15. Got to give all the props to Central for what they did. Uh, you know, they didn't overlook Richland. As, as I talked to Dave Baker last week, early in the week, he said he told his players, no matter who wears those uniforms, whoever's out, whoever's on the field, you know, Richland's going to come at you and play for real. And it was uh, – you know, it was a one-sided game, but it wasn't uh, like just a terrible performance uh, by Richland. It's hard to explain that because it was so one-sided. So, uh, yeah, they, Laurel Highlands Athletic Conference champion, Central. All right. Uh, you look at some of the other uh, weekend highlights. McCourt Carroll on the cusp of a playoff berth in District 6 Class 1A. Goes to Phillipsburg Osceola. Loses in double overtime when the Mountaineers go for two on the back end of the second overtime. And following along uh, on Twitter, uh, anywhere I could get updates, you're sitting there because, again, we've been talking so much, okay, like that 0-5 start, and Coach Tom Smith saying, hey, like th this back end of the schedule works out pretty well for us. We think we can make A. And they were playing like they were going to be a dangerous out on A. This will knock them out. But and, and you see that. They that Phillipsburg Osceola went for two in the second overtime. Not when like, and you don't have to go for two until the third overtime. So this was the choice just to end the game and yeah. get it done with. Yeah, Coach uh, Jeff Vroman, he decided to go for the win, and uh, uh, Jacody Jones ran the conversion. Uh, from reading the story, it said it, you know a couple guys were on him, and he forced his way in the end zone, and they get the W um, for the Crushers. As you said, they they won three of their last five games, and one of those losses obviously was in double overtime. So not a bad ending to the season. In this game, uh, McCourt Carroll produced 308 yards of offense. Good effort. Solid finish, uh, even though it ended in heartbreaking fashion. North Star defeated West Branch, and Connor Yoder had himself a ball game. Yeah, Connor Yoder, the, uh, 
his his passing numbers have just been phenomenal, and uh, they needed to come back after two losses. And he's a guy, a you know, four year starter that you're going to count on, and um, just he comes through and puts up the the big time performance. And gets them back on track, and uh, we'll talk about later about uh, the team they're going to face. And that win actually gives North Star the number two seed in District 5 Class 1A. So that was a very important win for the Cougars. And a game that had absolutely zero playoff implications. But you look at it and you smile when you see Economa Valley ending the season on a high note, defeating Homer Center 50-29. to uh, There is a number that sticks out to me. And that is 475. That is the number of yards the Kanawha Valley gained on the ground. How many yards did they gain through the air? Zero. This is a team that just ran the ball, 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 and put up 50 points. You get a look at, like, when this double wing works well, what it can do. And this is what it did on Friday against Homer Center. Yeah, three 100-yard rushers by Kanawha Valley, uh, that's a performance side. We mentioned John Jacoby. That's something he would have been proud of, and I'm sure head coach Matt Kent certainly approved of. Uh, as you said, just shy of 500 rushing yards. Devin Chontis, 193 yards, and he went over 1,000 for the season, scored four TDs, but he was injured during this game. So uh, Tom Stifler and Eli Dar, who had been injured and missed most of the year, Stifler ends up with 128 rushing yards. Eli Dar ends up with 103 rushing yards. I mean, phenomenal uh, ground game uh, against Homer Center. Now let's look to the playoffs. We've got 11 teams playing in nine games on Friday. We'll start in District 5, 1A. You've got Myersdale, Northern Bedford. So it's the four-seed Red Raiders who defeated Uniontown. Or was it Uniontown? No, it was... Um, they defeated Southern Huntington Southern 61 Huntington, yes. nothing. I'm so used to like all of our ICC South teams playing Uniontown at some point, so that's on me. But anyhow, so they beat Southern Huntington 61-0. Northern Bedford comes into this game 10-0, and again, looking every bit the world beater that they expected to be at the beginning of the year. On the other side of that bracket, you've got Winber at North Star. That's a 3-2 matchup. This is a rematch of a Week 5 game. that uh, North Star won at Winber Stadium by three touchdowns. And you don't normally win by three touchdowns at Winber Stadium unless you're Winber. So two pretty, I was going to say, like, uh, I two pretty good matchups going into this 5-1A semifinal. Yeah, Myerstow, they finished, uh, you know, they had an up and down. They won a couple in a row to begin the season, lost a few in a row. To, you know, they kind of go back and forth. They ended on a three-game winning streak, and they scored 132 points combined against uh, Brownsville, Everett, and Southern Huntington. So, uh, And their defense only allowed seven points in that span. So they, they're playing some good ball. Uh, the Black Panthers undefeated, ranked fourth in the state in Class 1A. Uh, they were District 5, 1A runner-up last year to Wimber when Wimber won on Northern Bedford's field. Um, so, you know, this, that's, that's a tough matchup. Uh, Wimber at North Star, as we said, both of those teams needed to end a two-game slide to get, you know, where they are in the playoffs. And they both had lost to Berlin and Northern Bedford, so that's two of the tougher teams in the conference. They both rebounded last week, and now they're going head-to-head. Wimber starting to get some of those guys back who were hurt. Uh, Luke Hostetler is not back. Uh, He was the area's leading rusher when he went down uh, fourth game of the season. Uh, And the Ramblers did get back, though, quarterback Tanner Barkley, and that was huge because then you could put Evan Brady back at his wide receiver spot and – R.J. Talion was back, Eddie Richards. So, um, you know, the Ramblers get a little bit healthier. 
North Star coming back uh, with a big win after a tough loss. So um, looks like two good matchups in 1A. Moving on to 2A in that District 5-8 subregion. Only one semifinal. Westinghouse top seed will get a bye. But Chestnut Ridge will go to Berlin Brothers Valley. And here's a case of Chestnut Ridge kind of sliding a little bit. Berlin Brothers Valley finding its level. And this game is going to be at Berlin, which is a very tough place to play for anybody. And it, it reminds me a lot of the vibe going into last year's playoffs when Bedford had to go to Berlin Brothers Valley in that in that semifinal. And I just, you know, it's one of those things, you know, the attitude then was, oh, we're Westpac, you know, they think they can walk all over us. I mean, I don't think that's going to be the attitude going into this. I mean, but I, I think Berlin's going to have that chip on their shoulder. And yes, I am aware that there is a potato chip factory that you can see from the field. So that might have been a pun. Yes. Well, Chestnut Ridge, they've lost three of their last four games, like you said. But they were facing four of the top teams in the Laurel Highlands Conference. They beat Bishop Guilfoyle in that stretch in Week 8. But they fell on the road on all three of these games at Penn Camber, Richland, and Clearfield. So um, Ridge had won five consecutive District 5 2A titles from 2016 to 2020 before they added into sub-regional with eight. Uh, the Mountaineers, Berlin, five consecutive wins since falling uh, to Northern Bedford in Week 5. Uh, they they won three District 5 1A titles in four seasons uh, in the mid uh, part of the decade, 2015, 14, and 12. Uh, Berlin and Ridge, they also met in the 5 2A playoffs each season from 2016 to 2020, that run where the Lions won uh, all those championship games. And Westinghouse, undefeated, awaits the winner. Moving on to District 6 in the 1A quarters, we have two games involving area teams. One is going to be eight seed in Marion Center at Northern Cambria. And I, I will say the same thing about the Colts, who dispatched Cambry Heights in the Cold Bowl this past week. Do you think they want that game with United Valley back? Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. But, hey, they, they haven't lost since then, and that was the season opener. <laughs> and then West Branch is at Cambria Heights, and I, you looked at that North Star result, and if you're not familiar with West Branch, you saw a team that can put points on the board, but also allowed a lot of points. And Cambria Heights isn't exactly an explosive offense, but you got to be disciplined against the Highlanders because while not explosive, they'll put points up on you. Yeah, both of both of those teams, uh, West Branch five and five. So, uh, and, and I, I was doing the preview, and I noticed exactly what you said. Their points allowed and and, and points for were almost. I mean, they were within a, you know twenty points. Uh, so they, they, they score a lot, but they give up a lot. Um, Northern Cambria, as we said, just um, kind of rolling along. Uh, Ty Dom is doing a little bit of everything. Uh, and, and Jack Shreedy, he is uh, leading the area in rushing, as we always talk about, and leading the area in tackles. So uh, they, they've got a lot of good positive things going for them. Yeah, the Colts will play Marion Center, Cambria Heights, uh, a team that's just going to pound the rock on you. We'll get West Branch. In District 6 2A, Penns Valley is at Richland. Richland is the two seed, and it came down to the final game involving a district team, which was that Bishop Guilfoyle Bedford game on Saturday. The victory by Bishop Guilfoyle Catholic gave Bald Eagle area 10 power points and broke a tie at 1330 and pushed Bald Eagle area into the top spot to where the Eagles will now play Bishop Guilfoyle Catholic. But 
That'll leave the seven seed Penns Valley going to Richland. I, my money's on the Rams. Yes. Home Rams or visiting Rams? That's what I had to put in a roundup. <laughs> my money's on the Rams. Okay. Um, Mount Union is at United Valley. And this is an interesting challenge for United Valley. Because Mount Union traditionally is a team that is just very big and very physical. And even with United Valley's success, like, like, hey, you know, we're doing it with an athletic line. We're doing it with guys that, you know, are just getting down the field and throwing blocks, you know. So this could be like it, you hear it in the in the boxing and now the MMA circles where styles make fights. And this could be a styles makes fights kind of game. Forest Hills is at River Valley. This is another styles make fights type game. And it's going to be interesting to see River Valley because kind of a very kind of an X factor. We we don't see a lot of River Valley. They play our teams that are in the Heritage Conference. And you know, Forest Hills, we know what the Rangers can do. And it looks like River Valley, at least statistically, kind of lines up with Forest Hills, but schematically, this could be two very contrasting teams. Yeah, Forest Hills, they're on a nice little run here. Uh, I, I saw them uh, when they lost that game to Richland. They've just been kind of rolling since then. Uh, that was, I think, week five. And, uh, you know, Nate Cornell among the passing leaders. You've got uh, Xander Richardson uh, doing some big things on both sides of the ball. Uh, so Coach Justin Myers has has the Rangers uh, rolling along pretty well. And that, that should be an interesting uh, matchup. And as you said, River Valley, tough to play on the road against them. So uh, should be uh, one of those to watch closely. We have one semifinal in District 6-3A. The winner will go on to play Central. That's going to be Tyrone at Penn Cambria. Penn Cambria, I was absolutely stunned when I saw that final score when they lost the Bald Eagle area 46-0. But here's the chance to bounce back against a good Tyrone football team. Yeah, and Tyrone only lost by two points. So, uh, you know, that's... That's going to be a, a tough one. It's at Penn Cambria where they they play well, as you said. I mean, hey, Bald Eagle is very good. So if you know if they would have beat Penn Cambria in a tight game, you wouldn't be surprised. But like to to have it such a one sided score uh, was kind of what everybody whenever that came in across Twitter X or whenever it got into the paper, you're like, whoa, what's going on here? Yeah, I, I saw that final score and uh, like, uh, did somebody leave off like a three? Like, was it forty six thirty? Was it forty six twenty? No, it was forty six nothing. All right. So speaking of numbers, uh, these are numbers that are complete. Mike Mastovich, you've got stats. Yes, uh, it's after uh, week ten. The stats provided by the coaches: uh, Jack Shreedy in Northern Cambria, twelve hundred ninety four yards, top series in rushing with uh, Devin Chontis after that big. Performance for Conwell Valley, he's at uh, 1,183 yards. And in receiving, uh, we got the, the Penn Cambria duo, but Evan Brady of Wimber in between them, sandwich there. Carter McDermott of Penn Cambria, 680 receiving yards with 35 catches. Evan Brady, Wimber, 673 yards, 50 receptions. And Gavin Harold of Penn Cambria, 636 receiving yards on 42 catches. Quarterback uh, passing. Connor Yoder, North Star, who we mentioned, the four-year starter, uh, 1,718 passing yards with 19 TDs, 12 interceptions. Nate Cornell, four steals, 1,520 passing yards, 16 and 5. And then Brady Jones of Penn Cambria, 1,376 passing yards, 17 touchdowns, 5 picks. 
and uh, Nate Wysong, Chestnut Ridge, right in there with 1355, and Pace Prosser Berlin with 1338 on the passing yardage. Scoring, Ethan Smith and North Star, 27 touchdowns, 166 points. Evan McCracken still at 23 TDs and 138 points because he didn't play. Uh, kick scoring, we got Connor Montgomery, Berlin, 59 kicking points with uh, 41 PATs, 6 of 7 on field goals. Bryson Costa, Wimber, 53 kicking points, 44 extra points, 3 of 5 on field goals. Andrew Dillon of Penn Cambria has 43 kicking points, 31 PATs, 4 of 4 on field goals. Defense, Jack Shreddy, Northern Cambria, 124 tackles. Quincy Swaim of Bedford finished with 104. Corey Morselko of Forest Hills has 103. Cody Kimmel of Berlin and Xander Richardson of Forest Hills each have 101. And Carson Lauer of Conwell Valley finished with 100 tackles. On to the sacks, Derek Height, Penn Cambry with 11. Uh, Cooper Houston of Berlin with 7. Braden Nickus, Chestnut Ridge with 7. And Bryce Vita of Ligonier Valley also with 7. On the interceptions, Malachi Carr of Myersdale and Pace Prosser of Berlin each have 7 picks. And I'm flying blind into this. I did not actually get to look at the file before we started recording on Wednesday. So there's a Friday flashback for week 11. And Mike, you also dug back, I believe, 90 yeah. years ago for this one. Yeah, we had the sequel of uh, last year's 90 years ago for week 11. So yeah, uh, I'll give you the, the two of the older ones. I was on a lot of the microfilm research uh, for these two. Well, uh, in 1983, 40 years ago, uh, I focused on the one we talked about, Black Lake Valley finished 11-0 season um, in the Appalachian Bowl. Uh, they won at Point Stadium in front of, uh, I think it was 3,000 fans, completed that uh, undefeated perfect season with Paul Shandor's team. And I kind of put two together with that one because on that same uh, weekend, on the Saturday night, Ligonier Valley and Central Cambria were playing for the Mountain Conference title at Wimber Stadium, and there was bad weather on Saturday night, and it got moved to Monday night, or maybe Monday, I assume it was Monday night, but it just said it was a Monday game. Yeah, and then Ligonier Valley won a defensive battle, 8 nothing, I believe the score was. So that was in 1983 on the flashback, but the uh, part two of last week's 90 years ago in week 11, the uh, Wimber football team, uh, we had talked about how on Thanksgiving Day, which was November 30th that year in 1933, they, they won at the Point Stadium against Johnstown, big upset, so they got to represent the West. And uh, they played again at Point Stadium, but it was like um, December 9th, I believe, was, was the game. And uh, this one had just about 15,000 fans, according to the uh, stories that were in both the Tribune and the Democrat. And before the game, they were predicting maybe as many as 20,000. Uh, a couple cool things about that. Two special trains came in from Harrisburg because John Harris, the team they played, is from Harrisburg. And there were 2,000 John Harris fans on those trains. And then the story said that um, the Wimber fan contingent was between four and 5,000 people. Now, I looked up, Wimber had an entire population, was 9,000 back then. Uh, so 5,000 people is a pretty good representation of your town. And then they talked about in these stories how Altoona sent a huge contingent. They said Portage sent a huge contingent. Uh, Bedford, Somerset, they said any school within 30 miles of Johnstown had a huge representation among fans. Now, they were all a part of this conference, the Interscholastic Conference. There were 65 teams in that conference. They said all 65 teams had representation at this game at the point. 
And then Wimber wins it 7-6 seven, seven, over John Harris. So it's the state championship, uh, the first of two they had in the 30s under this format. It was before the PIAA. So um, that was 90 years ago in the flashback. Uh, it'll be in Friday's edition, so uh, and it'll be online, so you can check it out. <laughs> All right, and then, again, we, we've wrapped up the regular season. Ten weeks are behind us. We have the potential for five or six weeks ahead of us here to close out this football season. But we also like to reminisce. And for the closing conversation, Mike, I'll make it a little bit more recent. What are some of your standout memories from this regular season, either that you witnessed or maybe that you read or heard about? Yeah, a couple uh, easy ones that were special events. Uh, Actually, three of them that I got to cover that were like kind of out of the ordinary things that had to do with more than just the game. That week one, to see that uh, John Jacoby field at Thomas Usick Stadium, what a well-done program dedication that field. Uh, Portage beat Conemaugh Valley in the game. But uh, the the pregame uh, celebration of John Jacoby was very moving, well done with a lot of uh, memories and artifacts and clippings and everything. So then a few weeks later, I believe we said it was week five, you had out at Forest Hills the uh, dedication of the field house to be named after Don Bailey, um, that was also a fantastic ceremony. You had former Forest Hills tight end Joe Jones there talking, uh, making a presentation. You had Don's uh, children, uh, Derek, and, uh, of course, Brandon Bailey uh, made very uh, poignant, moving, emotional uh, talks about their dad uh, and, and their mom, Diane, who was also there, uh, just how much she meant to the whole uh, process. And then Don Bailey gets up and had you ready to cry and then laughing because he had such, you know, great comments and a couple jokes he made that were pretty cool. And, um, and then the third one that was out of the ordinary was the 125th, uh, celebration, the 125th year of football at Greater Johnstown, a team that's, uh, in the midst of hard times with 40 straight losses and, uh, one win in the last 60 games, but they still celebrated their past, which included a lot of championship performances. They had their, uh, Trojan ring of honor and, and, uh, very well done presentation there. A lot of people came in from out of town to be a part of it. Alumni band had a fantastic performance with people from, you know, 40, 50 years ago playing with the kids who are in the band now, which uh, that band just won a state championship too. So, yeah, those those were three things that really didn't have a lot to do with what happened on the field, but I really enjoyed seeing that kind of, that part of that. And for me, I, I look at one of the five games that I was able to cover this season and that was Conwell Valley at Conemaugh Township. At the time, it was 0-6 versus 0-6. And I remember looking at the stats before the game. Oh, my gosh. Conwell Valley's only passed for 30 yards this season. They're averaging 5 yards per, you know, I think it was like actually 33. It's like they're averaging 5.3 yards per game passing. So here here's a situation where Conlaw Township's up two scores almost could have put the game away in the fourth field goal goes wide Conwell Valley just marches down the field how does Conwell Valley score with a 12 yard pass and then how does Conwell Valley win this game when it goes for two in regulation with a pass that was so backyard it was like I mean, when everybody in the stadium was expecting, oh, they're gonna run, they're gonna run it. Here's just a waggle and just a rollout, and then you just have a kid breaking his route and just running across the back of the end zone, hauling in that football, 
and just the roar that came from the visiting bleachers. That's what stood out to me because even in a press box with closed windows, you don't normally hear a lot of the noise coming from the other side of the field. It was very distinct. You just heard this roar. And it really felt therapeutic because now Conwell Valley is off the proverbial schneid. And then what I found out later when talking to Coach Matt Kent was it was a milestone victory for Conwell Valley. It was 200 wins. So you watch this happen in a very short span of time. And here's a team getting its first win of the season and getting a milestone win and doing it in a way that you don't normally expect them to do it, at least under the current coaching staff. And that stood out because it's just like, okay, like when we're going to zig you for 47 minutes and then with 30 seconds to go, we're zagging. And it it just, it it was just fascinating to watch on. Sometimes those are the kind of games I've always told this story and wrote a column about one of the most memorable things I ever covered all this 37 years I've been here was when I drove up to Glendale taking a chance to see Johnstown Votech had not won. It was 30-some games in a row. And uh, they go to Glendale, fall behind by two touchdowns, come back and win uh, the game. And they almost came, they they almost lost on a, a squandered uh, onside kick that Tony Pettis Sr. said, whatever you do, nobody try to run it. And the guy tried to run it and dropped the ball. So I thought they were going to lose maybe. But uh, just to see the reaction after they ended up losing streak, I, I wrote in my column the cheerleaders actually looked around like they didn't understand. Like, We've won this game like they didn't know how to react and uh, people were crying and stuff like that. So, yeah, there's sometimes it's uh, not the championship game that, uh, you know, brings back some of the most moving memories. It's funny that you bring up Tony Pena instructing the team, like no matter what anybody does, nobody around this back. Uh, for those who know me before I was here, I was actually a junior high assistant girls basketball coach for one season, 2002, which meant I – Coach the 7th and 8th grade team, the B team. And we were playing Ligonier Valley, and it was a tight game. And we we had the lead, we had the ball. And I remember there was a timeout with about 10 seconds to go. And I just said, hey, we've got the ball. Make them foul us. Or, you know, and if they don't foul you, just dribble out the clock. The ball works to the corner. The girl just instinctively just is wide open in the mid-range, just puts up shot, bricks it. They Ligonier Valley gets the rebound, and a girl just chucks a ball from half court. And when I say nothing but net, that does a disservice to this because I don't even think the ball touched the net on the way through. Buzzer rings. These girls from Ligonier Valley are going nuts, and I am just sitting there thinking to myself, oh, my goodness. Like, And, like, in that moment, I'm here. Here I am. I'm in my early 20s. I, at times was known to be like a little hot-headed and I'm just looking at the girl who did like who did that I'm like 99 times out of 100 I would have yelled at you if you wouldn't have taken that shot and you know it's just like not a whole lot you can do it's already over but it worked out for Votech in this situation I guess is what I'm trying to say alright so I thank you for indulging me in a little bit of free therapy um, anyhow so uh, this is week 11 of the season. This is the TD Club. Mike Mastovich, you can find him on Twitter or X at Masty81 or Mike.Masty on Instagram. I am at Sean Curtis430 on Twitter, X, Threads, Instagram, and Blue Sky. For Mike, I am Sean. 
We are thanking you for listening to another episode of the TD Club. And as always, congratulations, you have made it to the end. Thank you.